Agent 007 and M's interrogation of Mr. White proves no one can be trusted on James Bond's newest action adventure. Fueled by the betrayal of Vesper, the woman he loved, Bond's determination to track down the mastermind behind White's sinister organization leads to Haiti, where he feels and finds an unlikely ally, a beautiful but feisty stranger. The trail quickly leads to Dominic Green, but with the British government and the CIA working against him, Bond must kill or be killed on his mission to co- uncover the truth and destroy quantum making its premiere in London the 29th of October 2008 before opening in the UK a couple of days later on the 31st and a whole two weeks later in the USA on November the 14th. Quantum of Solace is the 22nd James Bond film and cost an eye-watering $220 million to make, but it brought in 589.6 at the worldwide box office, starring Daniel Craig, directed by Mark Forster. The vital statistics are Conquest 1, Martini 6, Kill 16, Bond James Bond 0. Back in 2008, Variety said the shortest and certainly the most action-dense Bond ever. Quantum of Solace plays like an extended footnote to Casino Royale rather than a fully realized standalone movie. Producers, possibly knowing they couldn't immediately top the previous pick's sheer stylishness, have radically reshuffled the series' traditional elements, but also allowed incoming helmer Mark Forster to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm your host, James Page from MI6HQ.com and the magazine MI6 Confidential, and I'm delighted to be joined by Bill Koenig, Ben Eslinger, and Sean Longmore to discuss Quantum of Solace. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, I'm Bill Koenig with the uh, blog The Spy Command, and I've been known to take a shot or two at Quantum of Solace, but uh, I'll uh, be uh, careful here. I'm uh, Ben Hesslinger. I'm an editor for TV and film, and I also run a rather silly podcast about spy movies and secret agent pop culture called Central Intelligence Cinema. And I will be the quantum, I will be the official Quantum of Solace apologist today. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sean Longmore. I'm an artist and graphic designer. Um, I sometimes do kind of pretty Bond, James Bond pictures. Um, and it, uh, uh, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> okay so we're going to kick off with the one with what's the one motif or element that you think of when you think of quantum of solace how would you describe this movie to a stranger what would you put on the minimalist poster quantum of solace it's the one with the four elements uh and i I have to credit uh um haphazard stuff because he uh uncovered many videos including clips done at the time. So Mark Forster, the director, kept talking about he wanted to do a movie about the four elements, which were, if I can remember them right, were earth, fire, wind, and water. And it's like, that's great, but can you come up with a story? Um, But anyway, I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Uh, I guess I'll go. Um, (laughs) It's the... uh... It's the one that's the first true Bond sequel. Um, mm. It's the first to literally pick up within 30 minutes of the last movie and continue the entire storyline for well. it. <laughs> well, right. 30 minutes, one hour, two, two hours. Years. Two years, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Enough time for the whole of MI6 to move. That's right. <laughs> They're fast. They move fast. Um, <laughs> but I think they're really successful at doing it. Um, I just like the, I think what it is for me is that you have this direct content continuation and tone um, that sort of comes from the end of Casino Royale. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I see this as the one with. It's, it's just the actual sequel that 
they were writing before Casino was even done. And yep. so I feel like it's far more successful than um, both Spectre or No Time to Die in that respect. Um, and I also think that because of that, you're able to convincingly as well have Bond in a place where um, he's in this, da- you know, he's in this very vengeful place. And so kind of unlike Tomorrow Never Dies, where in that movie, you know, we're supposed to sort of believe that <clears throat> Bond is really, you know, upset over Terry Hatcher's death, which for me was not nearly as convincing. Whereas in this movie, I feel like the tone is right where you believe that Craig's bond in this is really nowhere. You know, he's not going to be interested in finding other women. He's just, you know, he's on a vengeful rage fest. (laughs) And so, um, you get this great, as a result of that, you get this great partnership, um, you know, with the, with the main bond girl. So it's quite the contrast to Connery and diamonds are forever, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> on, his, on his vengeful quest, full of anger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sean, what you got? Uh, that, that's kind of stolen mine because I was going to go to the one where the zero, the O's in the title line up again. You know, <laughs> they did that again. <laughs> you know, really milk that. Which, which meant that when when this film finished and they were like, "What's going to be Bond?" You know the. What, what became Skyfall, everybody's fan art and <laughs> titles had to have the O's in it, didn't it? Yeah. Because of course yeah. they're going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess I'm going to, kind of on a similar vein to that, I'm going to go with that this is the one that is style over substance. And there's mm. a lot of bonds that could fall into that category, but this is the one that really pushes it the most. And being an artist and a visual person, um, I, I, I like that, even if it is perfectly it's kind of superficial. I like it. All right. So the Bond cocktail, Bond films can usually be broken in, down into their component elements. Um, so which one of these ingredients um, do you think is especially important to Quantum of Solace? It's a twist or it's somehow unique to this particular film. Um, can be a good thing or a bad thing. And we've got teaser titles, plot women, villains, allies, Bond action locations, dialogue and style. Who wants to pick an ingredient? to go into the shaker? Uh, I would go with the teaser because, okay, everybody knew with Casino, they did not have the gun barrel to start because it was symbolic. But then there was no overt reason why there would not be a gun barrel at the start of this movie. And also, to me at least, it was a bit confusing because you have two black cars chasing each other. Yes, I could follow it. I could follow it mostly, but like if you really wanted to make it clear to the audience, one car could be red and one car could be black. But of course, they didn't want to do that. Part of that was because this was, in my opinion, the movie that was most influenced by the Bourne films and Mm -hmm. with confusing action sequences because they were trying to, you know, put the audience in the in the same seat as the people driving the cars and okay, fine. But, but you know, you're, you're copying somebody else at this point and just, well, is it? Cause they had some of the same crew. 
Well, absolutely, because Dan Bradley, the second unit director, was you know taken from the Bourne films. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean by this sequence. The teaser was most influenced by the Bourne films, and you know for that very reason. And and I think part of the reason the movie you you cited two hundred twenty million as the reported budget. I've it's seen eye watering considering Casino Royale cost seventy. Well, I was about to say I've seen two hundred and thirty million as the reported mm-hmm. budget for this movie, and apparently a lot of it has to do with the the, the opening sequence. Like, yep. didn't didn't what? they trash something like fourteen Aston Martins? Something like that. It's <sighs> like and 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 one okay. ended up in the lake. I think right. And and could you could you've only trashed four maybe <laughs> and still <laughs> accomplish the same effect? I mean, this was like this. This sequence reminds me of the whole thing about when you sometimes when you get everything you want, it doesn't help the movie. And you know, because sometimes movies are better when you have to make choices because the resources aren't as much as you would like and you have to think about it. And like, anyway, so that's what I'm going to say about the uh, the teaser, and it's not complimentary. I also think there was a couple of injuries and accidents on this film in the pre-title sequence too, which was subject to litigation. So I don't want to say any more than that because I might get it wrong. Yeah, but right. Oh. Oh, well, can I, can I come to the defense a little bit? So, okay. Yeah. Um, on on what you were saying about the gun barrels, you, you're you're spot on. Um, that there kind of isn't a reason that it's there, but I think it comes back to what I was saying: style over substance, and it's a very much a conscious effort to have the build up in that first shot because you get all the, the flashing of the wheels and that sound build up. And I think it kind of works here because it is such a close follow on for Casino Royale straight away as an audience member, subconsciously, you're kind of being told this is a film that's set in the Casino Royale universe. Cause traditionally you could look back at Bond films and see each one as its own individual thing. Um, the, the one that kind of grates me is uh, I, I hate that they follow that on that trend on with Skyfall. That really yeah. bothers me. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't feel right at all, especially when it's supposed to be this big celebratory thing. But that's a whole other topic. Um, I, the whole sequence, I think, I, I like it. Um, but I think what does a lot of the heavy lifting and what should really be commended in it is the sound. Um, yes. the sound mm-hmm. effects and the foley of that engine and Arnold's music, which does that slow build and then suddenly gets thrown straight in. I seriously, it, it seems really, it seems awful to say, but if you don't like the teaser, um, I'd close your eyes and listen to it. And it, it mm-hmm. and I feel like you'd kind of almost have a better experience with it because you're not as jarred by the editing and the visuals yeah um so i i think that yeah it's kind of it's bumpy and kind of rough and it's not the perfect opening but there is some really good stuff in there yeah i remember at the premiere when the the columbia logo came on right and then that music started and the rumbling and the deep bass and then it cuts to the lake and that flyover shot of the lake everybody in the theater sat up in their seat straight when that it, it, when that happened, whereas it, the gun barrel, the gun barrel is almost like, oh, you know, comfy mm-hmm. slippers. We know what's happening. This really wrong footed a lot of people in a good way. The first it's, time, it, it's kind of really setting the tone that this is going to be something different, and I well, quite like that. Well, just real quick, the thing about the Columbia logo with music that has something to do with 
Columbia long before Sony ever owned it. Yeah. Because Columbia often played music underneath its logo. And some films were very serious. Like, uh, <laughs> Makes uh, it harder to trim it off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like uh, Lawrence of Arabia, for example, or something campy like the Matt Helm movie where, you know, there was music playing under the Columbia logo. And, you know, Columbia just did that a lot. So in a way, um, this film with music playing under the Columbia logo, you know, yeah. just followed along a long tradition. Yeah. The one issue I have, the one major, the one complaint I have about the pre-tales is it's almost as if Bond magically remembers and finds a gun on his passenger seat. And it's not, you know, there's no shot of that weapon anywhere until he gets it in his hand and uses it. And a lot of people, I remember the first time they saw it, like, where did that come from? And it's almost felt like a cheat, like, to get out of the sequence. Like, how would he, how would he do it? Yeah. And he didn't <laughs> use any ingenuity to get out of the situation. He just shot the guy, shot the driver. And it's like, mm. Yeah, but this blonde is a blunt instrument, James. Right. But there was no inventiveness. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, at the end of a sequence of a, of a teaser, there's some inventiveness, right? Of either it's the stunt or how he does it, and it's just oh, I remembered I had a gun. That was it. Well, it, interesting. You could kind of look at, um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I do I ramble on about video games a lot during these podcasts. Um, but Quantum of Solace had actually what is quite a decent movie adaptation, and there's a yeah. sequence in that where. Bond is, has to fight his way through Mr. White's mansion um, and take down a helicopter, and that, that's how they kind of yeah, bridge the yeah. gap between Casino Royale and Quantum, and I think that really kind of works. And it does make me wonder if at some point was that in the edit before things no. got down? No? No. No, so EA was uh, – sorry, Activision was working on a Casino Royale game mm-hmm. during Casino Royale. EA's license hadn't expired yet. It was all a bit dicey, but they couldn't get the game out quick enough for Casino because they only get the license, I think, the year after. So that's why three quarters of the Corner of Solace game is based on the events of Casino Royale. But but that sequence, that's sort of a precursor to Quantum is at the very start of the game, isn't it? Yes, and then it's flashback yeah. for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's flashback. Yeah. Yeah. Game, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the whole teaser, the the payoff is just the opening up the trunk instead of instead of a moment of bond being clever you know like you were mentioning instead it's just it's all leading up to just him opening up the trunk to show mr white in there yeah which if you hadn't if you're a casual viewer uh, who's this guy (laughs) and while we're on it actually can i can we talk a little bit about the actual gun barrel that comes at the end yeah um it, it, it's really fucking awful, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's probably I, I, my. I think that's probably Spectre takes the well. Do you biscuit, know what you see? It? It's it's interesting what well, you said about yeah. audience reaction, James. Because when I saw Spectre on the first day when it came out, people cheered because the gun barrel was finally back yes, at the start. The, the idea it, of it, but not the actual execution it, of yeah, it. Yeah, it looks like shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, the one thing about the quantum gun barrel is like, okay, he shoots and then he gets back up. And then he walks off the screen inside the. And he does that little spinny Solace. thing with the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, inside it's, the yeah, inside the queue of Quantum of Solace, but yeah, it's like so. So in this at in that aspect, this gun barrel is unique. That's well, it's, not it's, it's also it's 
it's timed very differently because it's timed to a different portion of the music than usual. Um, so yeah. it's, it's very, very quick, but also wasn't it reshot? So the originally, it was originally going to be shot differently and they were going to mix it up and there's photos that exist somewhere. Yes, there is. Um, where Bon Craig was walking towards the camera to mm-hmm. film it. And yep. then last minute they kind of said, no, we're going to change it. And yep. Do Wait, wa- I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not familiar with this walking toward the camera, the same way Roger Moore in the seventies for trailers walked toward the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And he, he's in, he's in a dinner jacket rather than a suit. And there were, yeah. there were shots of it. Of, um, and I don't know how it would have worked. Maybe there was going to be like a pull, dolly pull, pull back kind of thing. Like, it's, it's fascinating. I'd love to know what happened. We'll probably but get yeah, to see the, it. The, the one we got is, it, 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 it's the worst, I think. And Spectres does look awful, but it's just the fact that it's so fast and it's really awkwardly placed. And then that awkward transition at the end into the logo. Yeah. All right. So, Bill, you had teaser. Uh, ben, what would you like to pull from the list? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Allies. Um, oh. and, and for me, this is a, this is a positive. Um, just because I think that maybe one of the biggest strengths of this movie is that you do have some really great allies, and I would even, I would even sort of clump in Camille as an ally in this as well, right? Um, just because she fits more of that role really than like a traditional Bond woman, um, so to speak, because um, she's just this great kindred spirit and kind of dealing with her own kind of shit <laughs> with bond um and so i i think that all of the performances from the allies are are things that really help strengthen you know what is oftentimes you know maybe not the most airtight <laughs> you know story um but i really like um mathis in this probably yeah. m- probably more so than in casino royale uh giancarlo giannini is just it's just a great, great actor. And one of the things that works in this movie really well to help sort of balance it out is those slower moments with him. Um, because there is yeah. so much, because there is so much action in this movie and, and like that, those scenes with him are, are maybe my favorites in the whole, in this whole movie. Um, but I also really like Felix in it. Um, just cause you get, you, they finally sort of flesh him out and you can see his sort of uh maybe not disgust but just sort of uh he's just sort of jaded with being in in you know the CIA and and all the politics that get involved in in the story and everything um but but he also sort of shows his true colors as like this really great ally to bond um and so and i love that scene where they're they're at the bar and, and he's like james move your ass uh, like yeah Stuff, little stuff like that. Um, so that's that's what I would say for me. I, I've got to say on Felix, one of it's one of my very very favorite Felix Leiter moments is when they're on the private jet and Green pulls up a picture of James Bond mm. and he hands it to Felix yes. and Felix goes, "Yeah, I don't have any idea like who that is." And like he's going above and beyond what his job is to yeah. protect Bond. Yeah, um, and I, that's just lovely. And that's why you eat the peppers, right? Which <laughs> <laughs> is a great line. <laughs> on the allies i think uh Gemma Arterton as uh strawberry fields is great in this yeah i think she's great and when they did the press day 
for this film. Um, it was of the hotel scene, um, the, which was a set built at Pinewood. And that was her first day, I think, of shooting. And she was visibly terrified, mm. you know, of, of the scale of the film and what she was going to get into. But I thought she, I thought she did really – her performance was great. Why do people pick apart the sort of um, romantic chat-up line? Um, I see a lot of criticism about that, that how it's terrible that Bond goes in and asks her to help him find the stationery. Um, I, I really like it, and I think it just it kind of shows that Bond can't even be asked to come up with a chat-up line, and he already right. knows she's interested, and she gives that great yes. wry smile to him, and she's like, oh, yeah, of course I am. So, Right. And I think yeah. that's a better better sort of moment than if Bond had just tried to like cheesily chat her up. I think so too. Um, the only thing, <clears throat> and and you know, we should mention that this was during a writer strike, and Craig and Forster were trying to do stuff on the hoof. So it might have been one of theirs, for all we know. Um, mm. But I do love the gag about the teachers who won the lottery. But it's ruined <laughs> by having it subtitled. Well, well, because people cool. read it. At the, at every screening I've been to of of it, everybody gets the joke at a slightly different time, and it just takes the air <laughs> out of it. Mm. And you can probably derive from what he's saying, right? Yeah. Well, well, real quick, we don't know whether that particular scene was affected by the writer's strike because the writer's strike ended in I think February of two thousand eight, and Joshua Zetmer took over doing rights rewrites on the on the set uh i mean maybe the dialogue could could have been smoother but actually i i agree with you it's it's actually one of the better scenes um in the film first appearance of tanner in the allies list too yeah mm -hmm. and that weird guy that was not q but was kind of like q and um <laughs> some strange choices on this film um, Sean, what you got for us? Which ingredient would you like? Yeah, well, actually, it just say that the, the whole MI6 thing is really strange, isn't it? Like the the, the whole and the, the the wonderful the kind of predict the table, the predict the future with the holographic -y table thing. Yeah, um, which is a lovely visual aesthetic, um, and I remember I remember that being everywhere actually. Yeah, the I think little, of it. Um, all the little circles and the lines. Yeah, the uh, marketing really attached onto that. Then it's even it's the menu on the Blu-ray, isn't it? And the game, and mm. a bunch of other stuff that came out like for the next two years. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm going to build on Ben's point a little bit. I'm going to attach myself to it, and I'm going to go with women, um, and in particular just to talk about Camille because I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, besides what might be some questionable casting based on race. Um, we should probably <laughs> well, mention questionable things they did after they made a mistake about this ticket race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I love Olga Kurylenko in this, um, and I, I, I really something I really really adore about this movie is the fact that Bond doesn't sleep with her, and right. that he has a. It's not. I guess it's not necessarily strictly professional because they're they're not doing a job there. But they they can find common ground on stuff that's not sex and not love, and I really really wish we saw that more. And we kind of saw a twinkle with it in No Time to Die with him and Paloma. Um, but I think that makes for a much more interesting dynamic now than the one we've seen twenty five other times. Yeah. Um, but so, I, I really think this is this kind of fits in the same vein for me as it's not quite as comparable, but um, in how. 
on a Majesty's Secret Service kind of is Diana Riggs' movie in a lot of ways. I think mm. Quantum of Solace is as much uh, Olga Kurylenko's movie as it is Daniel Craig's movie, and yeah, that's one. I agree with that. I would agree with that too. I've she never really connected with me. I don't know why. I mean, that's just a personal thing. Um, for those listeners that aren't fully aware of it, they they browned her up for this film. <laughs> Um, with makeup because she was pretty pale and they, they made her Bolivian. Um, which, although, there, although there was a scene or two where they forgot to do that. Yeah, inside the plane they forgot to do it and it's yeah. kind of, <clears throat> it's really weird when they cut between them. Um, I almost wonder if they were sort of doubling down on the fact that they were, because isn't the, the whole water thing based on the Bolivian, some sort of Bolivian water scandal or something yes. like that. Yeah, it was a real thing. They privatized it. And um, if you're listening in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> here we are. A private water company is jacking the rates up and hoarding stuff and pumping poop out. It's Yeah, we're here, we're here Dominic Green. Um, yeah, it was based on a, a true scandal that happened. Yeah. And um, so I, I just wonder if maybe they, they were hesitant to sort of change... Uh, that element and so <laughs> instead well, of doing the right thing and either a casting somebody different or b yeah. changing her you know yeah back. so um when they were casting this and i forget the name of the indian actress who they looked at for it she's a great actress and um, they turned her down and the scene that they tested for this film was not from from russia with love they actually tested this film with the scene after they fall through the sinkhole and they have a chat about losing people, that was mm-hmm. the scene they used to screen test um, the actresses for it. And the um, the actress that lost this role to Kurilenko was Gal Gadot. Oh. Wow. Wow. And I'm thinking, I mean, politics aside, I think she would have been better in this film personally than Kurilenko. She'd have been a stronger presence, I think. Um, and ironically, a few years later, Kirilenko was going up for the Wonder Woman role, lost it to Gal Gadot. So they're 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 evens. <laughs> well, and Gal Gadot is getting a uh, her own spy franchise. Yes. Mm. So we'll see and how that Kirilenko goes. is now in the Marvel universe, right? So <laughs> I think they're kind of neck and necking it. Um, but, so. <laughs> there are a few. Um, I've got I've got a couple of them on Blu-ray that, that are like I think they were straight to Blu-ray straight to DVD spy thrillers where Kirilenko yeah. was in the lead role. They're, they're, yeah, they're, she was pretty good English. Yeah. Oh, but that's a great film. The third one, it is good. I liked it. I, I like Johnny English, so she she's good in that. Yeah, but yeah, it could have been a very different film. And of course, when the caster, then because of a Russian background, they're like, well, the mother was a Russian dancer. It's like, wow, they really. <laughs> <laughs> sharpen their pencils um, when trying to explain <laughs> the yeah the biology of that character. Anything else about the women that we should talk about? Uh, should we mention Vespa? Um, it's it's kind of it, it, in a way it's kind of the one thing that bogs this film down for me. How they just I I like I I really like I do like the conversation that Mathis and Bond have on the plane. Um, I think that's a lovely yeah. moment. And it's it's beautifully played, and I think it's actually one of Daniel Craig's best acting scenes as in his whole tenure as Bond. Um, yeah. But they should have just left it at that. I think um, yeah. she kind she kind of hangs around in a way that it, it, it's not entirely necessary to constantly 
be reshaping the plot to somehow include Vespa with which we know what his drive is is straight away we don't but I guess that's right. what that's what that's what happens when you've got actors writing the script rather than script writers because actors are coming at it from a place where, where their personal motivation is for that part so yes mm-hmm. I, I, I did find it funny how in the official synopsis they have Vespa parentheses the one mm-hmm. we loved close parentheses like <laughs> yeah I, I missed that <laughs> Because, because as, as well, the film, just, it just doesn't do anything with it either. It's not, the main plot doesn't really tie into it. No, except the coda at the end, right, about finding what's his face, trying mm-hmm. to do the same thing to another woman. Yeah. Um, that's about but, it, isn't but, it? But even then, there's, there's no, Bond kind of gets that information at the very start, and then it's forgotten about. There's no journey where Bond has to try and track him down or anything. It's just very much... They just suddenly That's find true. him at the end. Um, yeah. He remembers his job. Yeah. <laughs> so we might be on some fertile ground here by asking you to identify an underappreciated element of quantum of solace. What, big th- what thing, big or very small, would you like to bring to people's attention next time they watch quantum of solace? Um, I'll go with uh, David Arnold's score. Mm. I think, it, I think yeah. it's one. It might be his best of his Bond scores. It's absolutely my favorite of his. See, I, 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 think it's I can there. come up with positive stuff. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think he, I think he really, really came into his own, and unfortunately, mm. it was his last for the Bond series, and which is a shame. But that's how it, that's how it goes. But uh, yeah, I, it, I, I, I thought it was great. I think this score benefits in a way that a lot of the Barry scores benefit in that where Barry's good scores, well, they're all good, but Barry's really amazing scores are the ones that kind of pick different motifs and have little light motifs throughout that he then weaves mm. around and there's mm-hmm. multiple of them. And there's a lot of that here with what was Arnold's original um, pitch for the title sequence, that do-do-do-do-do-do kind of theme is. Yeah. Um, repeated a lot throughout um so i think there's just there's a lot that he's got to play with and he's putting his all into it and it's it's, it's a shame in a way that we don't get the title sequence that matches up with that right uh ben what would you like to throw in for unappreciated um i think and i know that this this is always shows up in every bond movie but i feel like in this one particular um it just works really well for me um, during the scene where we see Fields dead with, you know, with the oil all over her and everything, and and granted, you know, there's there's this whole thing about it harkening back to Goldfinger and that sort of thing, but I do feel like this movie just feels more successful at sort of showing the dark side of how Bond operates, mm-hmm. um, and just it really sort of points out in a very and and this might be a, a thing too it might be sort of judy dench's performance in this moment too she's so good at just holding bond to task like when they're in that hotel room um just you know pointing out like all the disasters that he leaves behind him just all the all the collateral uh, da- all the collateral yeah. damage and everything it's a really great point, Ben. I hadn't thought about that before. Is like, is this the movie where he sees the consequences of his actions the most? 
it kind of feels that way and it kind of feels it, it almost feels repeated with mathis yeah to a, to a small yeah, degree yeah. yeah whereas allies get killed as sacrificial lambs usually bond's not there yeah well, he hears about it later and in this one he basically just has to sit there and look look it dead in the face right no pun intended Sean, what you got for us? Um, uh, now, I kind of, right, I'm torn. I kind of want to say cinematography, um, but I know in some ways that's kind of a stupid thing to say because some of the editing is partly to blame why this film is so confusing. But then some of the shots are genuinely, um, there are some gorgeous frames in this movie, um, particularly shots that show off the locations. Um, the one that always springs to mind for me is um, Bond driving off from Greed in the desert at the end and the mm. camera's pulling back. It's just really beautiful sort of frame. And also the stuff within the flames, the flames feel really hot. They've got a lot of color. They all feel very sweaty and very close. Um, and, and that's kind of the one action sequence that's not filmed and cut ridiculously fast. Yeah. Um, so I kind of say that, but I think maybe I also want to say costumes. Um, in the, the the mid 2000s, there was some horrendous fashion choices going off and some very sort of cheap, awful, tacky. And when you look at a lot of films from the mid 2000s, costuming is very much kind of something that isn't paid a lot of attention to. Um, whereas here, is, is it Lindy Hemming that does? Yes. James. Yeah, but um, Tom Ford came in and did all the suits, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. Um, but all of Craig's suits are, look gorgeous. Um, and I absolutely love that one shot. So I guess it's cinematography and costuming of, and it became the poster image of Bond and Camille in the desert mm-hmm. in black. And she's holding her shoes. And I, I feel like it, it really highlights that even though the script might have been sort of a, a bit of a mess, a lot of a mess. Um, a lot of people on the production were still giving it their all and really, really yeah. putting a lot into it. And it's, it kind of breaks my heart a bit when people just say, oh, it's a bad film because of the editing, because it's very obvious that a lot of people tried very hard and a lot of people rallied together to get this film done and get this film done on time. The turnaround yeah. was ridiculously short. Yeah. Um, so... I guess that's my underappreciated element is the production crew as a whole really deserve hmm. a bit more credit for it. All right. Um, mine is, um, it's a, it's a mini scene and it's bond in the shootout at the restaurant slash kitchen at the opera. Mm. And the way that is edited, I think that scene is edited brilliantly. <laughs> it doesn't counterbalance the rest of it. Um, but just the disorientation of it, and um, it, it, it looks to me how a comic book reads. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense of, of that sequence. And I absolutely adore And it's like, ten, what is it, eight seconds, 10 seconds, something like that. But to me, that's my favorite bit. Right, James, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm <laughs> disagree. Um, th- this is the one sequence in the film that annoys me more than any other sequence in this film. Um, I, I love um the big the set the big tosca set and um i used to work in theater and i love i love tosca as an opera it's really good they intersplice bits from tosca in this scene yeah but they're they're all there they're not together 
Yeah. When you watch Tosca, it doesn't yeah. match up. And so right. bits from Act 3 and Act 1 are all suddenly right. edited together in this one bit of Bond running right. to the kitchen, and it just uh, really fucking bothers me I don't me like anything else around I don't. I don't like the other stuff that's around it. I don't like the dialogue. I don't like Bond being like, ha I'm taking pictures of you. Any of that kind of stuff. Um, or, or how they cut Tusker in it or any of that stuff. I just like the, the kitchen bit. <laughs> right in the middle. It's like seven seconds. Like, I think it's great. Anyway, so I agree with you. Is, is, that, the best, is that the best Bond in a kitchen scene in the whole franchise for you, James? Um... Mm, Possibly. Yeah, if you say Bond in a kitchen, then yes. yes. If you just say kitchen fight, no, because that goes to Living Daylights. <laughs> living Daylights wins that one. Um, can I jump in in general? Um, I actually, the first time I saw this in the theater, I was invited without having to pay to a free screening. And like, I almost walked out after about 20 minutes into it. Because Bond struck me as he was acting like an idiot. And I was used to clever James Bond. And actually, the Tosca sequence actually saved the movie for me. Because like, I was seriously thinking about leaving. And like, oh, oh Bond's actually using his brains for a change. So, like, so I sat back and you know, I could follow it for the rest of the film. So, point number one. And, well... That, that that's the main thing it's like you know finally bond was using his brains when he's like figuring out this the uh quantum guys are out in the audience and takes their pictures and stuff and like finally bond's acting like bond so i offer that as minority opinion on this podcast <laughs> well, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I just to clarify, I like Tosca being included, and I love the visuals of that. Um, it's just specifically those little edits in there where they sort of right. are taking different parts of Tosca out of order, just like ah. And 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 also, I'll I'll also toss in. I actually do like the cinematography in this uh, movie. Uh, I don't know if it was first unit or second unit, but that horse racing sequence after the the main titles I thought was beautiful. I mean, there's a lot to like in this film as critical as I've been of it. I guess the main thing for me is as part of the marketing, they said first direct sequel, like, Oh, this is like, you know, we we've paid a lot of attention to details. And then you watch the movie and no, they haven't paid attention to details. Is this movie in set in 2006, like Casino Royale, or is it 2008 as, as it says on one of the invitations to uh, to the party sequence later, mm. and mm. Uh, like it's like, and it's like, well, you're being picky. Well, like by emphasizing the direct sequel angle, you are inviting this level of being picky, mm. and um, and there's like a lot of things like that in this film because if you go back and view the videos of of the publicity at one point. Michael G. Wilson says this takes place literally an hour, but then if you go back and find other stories, well, it's two hours. Well, it's this, you know, I mean, they weren't even. Well, concerned. it's just a movie. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just a movie. Yeah. And like, how dare you bring this up and, and bring it up? And also, and we, and we never have titles for these films when we announce them. And, right. And yeah. also, yeah. And also, there's, there's the, the thing that goes back to the end of uh, Casino where uh, uh, Vesper 
as part of her sacrifice to Bond, gets him Mr. White's phone number. Well, the whole reason for that is so that Bond can track him down. Because even in the flip phone era, flip phones were like, you know, GPS device. You can still pick them off the tower. Yeah. And, and, mm. and so, well, it, it, it just took Bond two years to find him. If it took Bond two years to find Mr. White, then Bond's an idiot. And if Mr. White well, hung right. on to his phone for two years, he's an idiot. Neither is an <laughs> idiot. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's just lack of attention by the filmmakers. Um, and I'm sorry. And, I, and, I, and everybody having Sony mobile phones is, they're all idiots. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm sorry to keep bringing up this thing, but like if you keep, you know, but if you make reality part of your marketing, then you better pay attention. So. All right, uh, I won't mention this again for the rest of this podcast. But <laughs> can I just quick add to what Bill said, though? Um, I also really like the opera scene, but it does make me cringe seeing him take these photos from all the way across, yeah, and getting <laughs> these crystal clear photos that will that will instantaneously be sent back to mi6 and will instantaneously find facial recognition and all of that stuff doesn't hold up real well for me <laughs> right but i'm willing to overlook that because up until that point bond has acted like a complete right it, that's <laughs> and yeah you're yeah because at least at least in this scene he's you know he's showing some smarts off and in, in yeah yeah and to be fair, they they did the let's steal the CCTV footage in Casino, so yeah. they had to mm -hmm. do something different, right? As even right. though it's not plausible, but, yeah. Um, okay. just on that, well, has there ever been an explanation of why the Guy Haynes stuff was cut at the end, which is kind of the continuation of that scene? Um, accounts differ, right? But it's probably to do with runtime and nobody caring. Fair enough. Like it was a thread that they didn't think, feel they needed to tie up. They do it. just they, they just they just go nowhere with it, don't they? Yeah, it's, I mean, in, 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 the, in the game, in the game, it's Mr. White goes there to kill him, right? To clean mm -hmm. up the the end of it, and Bond witnesses it. Um, but they shot the scene. Will we ever see it? I don't know. So it's sitting there somewhere on a hard drive, somewhere. <laughs> but they changed the name of the villain, Dominic Green. It was going to be Damien Green, and then they realized there was a conservative MP called Damien Green, <laughs> <laughs> who got late. Didn't he? I'm going to edit this out if it's not true, but I think he later got put in front of the ethics committee for having porn on his laptop. So, oh no! Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it was a bit of sensitivity about British politicians being corrupt. I mean, they were ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, all right, we're slipping into trivia now. Uh, so is there a fact or tidbit about the film that you find particularly interesting? All right, well, I'll jump in real quick. This is less about a trivia about the actual movie and more as ties in to a personal thing for me is the fact that, uh, you know, Matt Chess and Richard Pearson only had six weeks to edit this film, uh, whereas in the past, uh, director Mark Forster was given an average of 14 weeks to edit a movie. Um, just for some perspective, since I do this for a living, <laughs> um, I can tell you that for a 45 minute long television show, um, it takes approximately four weeks 
Mm. And that's and that's just uh. for a rough cut. That's not for revisions. That's not for trimming it down. That's not for anything. So that's an absurdly short window to to edit an entire film in. Like it's 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 almost mind blowing to me. I mean, I'm sure they were they were cutting on all day and all night to to get to that. What are your thoughts on the edit as a whole, Ben? Because I think it's very easy for us as Bond fans, and we sit here and we we're all very passionate, and I guess kind of criticize yeah. things that we necessarily don't understand. But as someone who's professional in that world, how, well, how I mean, I do think that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think from a story perspective, there are some problems with the edit, but I actually don't have much of a problem with the editing that a lot of people criticize, like the action. Mm-hmm. Like I actually don't have a problem with a lot of that. Um, just from a continuity following what's going on sort of way. You know, James brought up earlier that, you know, it just seems like he sort of immediately thought back to the gun that's sitting right next to him in the mm-hmm. opening. That that is a problem. <laughs> you know, but that's more of a story edit as opposed to like an action edit. Like I really like the action editing in this. Like especially I think about the scene in like the clock tower or whatever that is, the yeah. um you know with all the uh like the pulleys and and all yeah. that stuff and all the ropes and everything. I thought that was put together really really well. I still think about that jam that that poor grandma dropped. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it's it's sort of two different types of editing. You're you're you know, on one side you're thinking about the story and whether this makes sense with you know, what every, everything else that's going on and then but from a pure action standpoint, I love the editing actually. I like I have no problem mm. with it. It's not mm. too fast for me. And uh, you sort of touched on it as well, Sean, that you know the sound um engineering on this and the and the sound design is so good that it really helps strengthen some of that quick editing uh i have a piece of uh trivia um i believe this is the first official screen credit for greg wilson he is listed as assistant producer he shares yeah. the screen with i think four other names now, his name appeared in Die Another Day as a byline on the magazine Bond is reading as he's flying to London, but I, I don't think that officially counts, you know, in terms of an actual credit, um, because from here on out, he would get promoted to being associate producer on Skyfall and mm-hmm. the, next two, and the yeah. next two films. Uh, so, and of course he is the son of Michael G. Wilson. So I think that's a significant piece of credit, a piece of trivia, excuse me. Mm. Okay. Sean, what you got for us? Uh, I, I honestly, I don't really have much, I'm afraid. Uh, I think, I guess we've, we've touched on a lot and I think there's a lot of, a lot of this film is actually really well documented and there's actually not that much film. Um, I know that the song at the end, I think is always interesting to note, um, by Fortet. Um, yeah, and I don't. Someone did an interview. Did you do an interview with him, James? Um, uh, if we did, it was a long time ago, probably in two thousand eight or nine. But somebody did recently, like last month. I, or I, I, yeah, I'm sure I read somewhere that he had something crazy. Like it was a week yeah, at the right. end of post production. So it, the, yep. it, by the time he'd wrapped it up, there was only a couple of days before the premiere. 
before that song went in and, I, and it's it, and it's a gorgeous it's a lovely tune and a, i i, I kind of wish they'd bring that back now of um having a different end title song too yeah in the film mm. um but i i think we'd be amiss not since lisa isn't here we should do a special shout out to um sweeper guy um, I, know, <laughs> I, know, I know Lisa's a big fan. Oh, man. That's the what one bad. That's the one bad edit in the whole movie. <laughs> what, what, what I love about that meme is it's outside a Bond. Like that lives outside a Bond now. Like general movie audiences know Sweeper Guy. Oh. That gif from Colin Masellas. He's wonderful. <laughs> he, he, and he, do you know what? It's a he's performing. He's really committed to it, isn't he? He's just not. Right. Quite there on the payment. Do, do does anyone ever found him? Well, challenge accepted. Yes. Um, let's go to Haiti and <laughs> well, Panama, right? And, and find out who it was. We'll put it out there. We'll try. No guarantees. <laughs> uh, I, that would be I, a I'm, scoop. It'll be a real scoop. It's going to be something that I point out when I'm in the cinema. To anyone that's sat around me, even if I'm sat on my own and there's some guy on the same room, we'll be like, oh, 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 sweeper guy, just in case. Because I think everyone should know, know, notice that. <laughs> well, well, if you're seeing this movie in the cinema, you should pay att- uh, close attention to the location cards with all the different fonts. Oh, boy. They're uh, very fancy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I, I mean, the Russo brothers must be jealous if they ever seen this movie. With all the location <laughs> cards they do in their films. So bring back I, Serpentine D Ball, right? Sean? Yes, yes. I, I hate, I hate location subtitles in films so much. So it's my biggest pet peeve. Um, the worst one is always London when it's a shot of Big Ben. Um, I've got to or give them bus. credit. I've got to give them credit here. At least the shot is of the floor when they say London in this movie. <laughs> uh, I've been. I've, I've, it's, it's something I've actually been kind of conscious noticing watching all these in the cinema. Um, you, start, you should start a blog or a Twitter feed. A blog on the two, but, un, but un, unnecessary location captions. It, it, it's a rainy street, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, London, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, well, there's a big deal about. Oh, it's the first time it's rained in a James Bond film. Well, no, right, I mean right. it rained in Casino <laughs> Rail at the it rained in Casino Rail at the, the the arms tent thing, and it also rained in the Majesty's Secret Service. But it's um, like it, it's font crazy with all the location cards because at yeah, least someone Russo, was having fun. At, at least the Russos keep the use the same uh, font throughout yeah, in each of their films. Do, do you know? Yeah, what, they, but I, I'd argue that's even worse because at least someone's kind of trying here and not just sticking yeah. London in some boring sans serif that we get in every other well, movie. Or who could forget? I mean, I've never watched the movie because it's not my thing, but I remember an editor I used to be friends with um, went to the Avatar premiere and he said that there was some someone in the audience shouted out, Papyrus! <laughs> Rather too loudly. Uh, <laughs> that. But yeah, I've, I've, been, I've been noticing, and I, I didn't realise in Bond until I saw these in the cinema all together, because this is the first time I've actually, I think I've ever properly watched them all in order, that mm. It's in Dalton's tenure where subtitles start to crop up. I always thought it yeah. was a post-Goldeneye thing, but no, they, yeah, it's the eighties. Uh, it's Gibraltar is the first one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, mm. I don't know if it's Gibraltar. Or was or is it Tangiers? Um, no, I think it might be. Um, oh, it sounds like it, a Christmas quiz question. In in Russia, where the the concert hall is, oh, I can't remember the name of it. All right. Twitter will correct us. It's all right. 
Spice. Yes, <laughs> wherever the co- when they cut to the concert after the title credits, I think it's there. If I remember right, I could be wrong. Mm. Um, but they they do crop up in Living Daylights, and I just I'm glad it, they didn't pop up in No Time to Die. It, it my biggest pet peeve in any movie. So if you ever watch a movie and you see a title card, no, if I've seen that movie, I've also sat there and gone because you should show, not tell. Always <laughs> show, not tell. <laughs> Producers have got some stick from some quarters of fandom about giving Craig too much power towards the end of his tenure. Especially, you know what we're talking about. Now, looking at you, no time to die, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you were to ask me to pinpoint where that all started, I believe it is in the pre-production of this movie when they didn't know what to call it and Craig was sitting in a room and they brought out you know this big white um, cue cards that they have for stage directions and they wrote all the suggested titles on it and they held them up and he pointed to it and he said quantum Asalas. and they let him choose and I think <laughs> that was the slippery slope starting there well they certainly let him put that story out whether it's yeah. true or not um, I agree yeah that is a slippery slope because Oh, I once did a post, Daniel Craig, difference between 2008 and 2011, and com- contrasting some of his statements then, you know, between the two years. So, yeah. Oh, it, it went from the, we've got something really special here in the junkets, right? Yeah. To like, well, we did the best we could. Right. <laughs> right. I, 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 maybe I, I, I kind of argue it starts even earlier. Uh, and before Craig even comes on board, in Die Another Day, when they let Pierce Brosnan pick The Clash to go over their London scene, and that's kind of where I want to go, yo, Barbara, don't listen to your actors. <laughs> 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 Just, no, it's not a good show. I, I don't, uh, so I don't hate the title for this movie. Um, I think it kind of fits in a way, in a weird way, in that the short story is, it's a very apt title for the short story for anyone that is familiar with it, that it's just Bond's kind of taking a moment out of his um, professional life to sort of listen yeah. to a story that's something that's happening in his personal life. Um, there was no, so there was I, no I need to make the organisation called Quantum, though, was there? Oh, no, absolutely not. That smacks of we couldn't say the S word. Yeah. Well, mm. and also, I'll take it a step further. Remember, they did interviews. Wilson and Broccoli, where they oh, said, yeah. Spectre, oh, yeah. that's lame. That, that, that's, that's the 20th century. Quantum <laughs> is 21st century. That's new. That's modern. And then, like, oh, we get the rights back. What What, what are you talking about? What are you saying? Quantum um, schmantum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they do this. They do quantum really dirty, Inspector. Um, particularly from I, d- d- there's callbacks in Spectre isn't there the, the movie Spectre not the organisation that uh, there's callbacks to Casino Royale and Skyfall even so far as where they use specific press photos of characters from <laughs> Casino right, Royale right. <laughs> and it's like they are so embarrassed by Quantum of Solace and I don't get why well well, and also when they're making Spectre well, also, <laughs> well, also a, a criticism which I agree with is like once they got this Rights of Spectre back and Blofeld back. They should have put those rights in a drawer and just waited for the next new guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and followed through with mm-hmm. Quantum and and with Mister White as as the big bad guy and just 
you know, follow it through the Craig era. But no, they just. But uh, can I, you imagine? Want, can you imagine this, Bill? If somebody back in two thousand and eight had said, "You know, this Mister White guy, yeah, he's going to be like the main guy for the Craig era, like the thread that goes through all of his movies." People were like, "Yeah, no, can wait, Bill." Well, you know, well, well, I'll tell you, when I was watching Casino for the first time, I'm thinking, okay, this is Spectre, but they can't say so. Fine. And, you know, there's going to be a mysterious guy in the background, and he's really Blofeld, but they can't say. That's fine. But like, you know, like us old timers, we get it. We know what's going on. And 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 like the newcomers, like, yeah, that's fine. You know, th- th- they're happy too. Like, just go with that. But instead, they made the absolute wrong decision. That's it. <laughs> My opinion. There you go. Only other piece of trivia I want to throw in. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Bill, but wasn't there like a major flooding and storm that went through New York City when this film was supposed to premiere in November 2008? Oh, Am I remembering that correctly? I think you are. Yeah. Um, and I think it got canned and Craig couldn't get there, so they did a video link. And it's referenced in an episode of The Newsroom. <laughs> where one of the, one of the characters is like, I was supposed to be at the premiere of the new James Bond film, but Daniel Craig didn't even show up. Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> did did they did they name that segment 007 not in New York? <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't, they should have. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Uh, okay, final verdict. Um, this is going to be all over the place for people, isn't it? Um, there are no bad James Bond films. There are some edited better than others. And there's top tier, middle tier, and bottom tier films. Um, who wants to go first as to how they rank this? Oh, I will. Just I might as well be the uh, setup guy. So I, <laughs> so, so I, I will say, despite the cinematography, despite David Arnold's score, despite things to like the film, lower tier for me. Right. Despite it being short. You know what? Despite being short, I was still looking at my watch while I was watching right. the film. You know the funny thing is, Bill, like I remember when Quantum came out and everybody was complaining, it's only ninety minutes, I'm not getting my money's worth, right? Yeah. Like I was looking at my watch like, how much longer has well, this got to run? <laughs> I'd be like, keep that in the back of your mind, because in a few years' time you're gonna be sitting there for three hours. See how you yeah. like that. See how you like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ben, how do you rank this one? Um, I rank this at the top of the middle tier. Ooh. Um, Ooh. It's not, I, I, it doesn't break my top tier, but I do really like, I, there's a lot of things that I do like about this movie. Like, I do like the action in it. And, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people hate the editing during the action, but I actually really like it. Um, and I, I just like, I like a lot of the action sequences, um, and I like the tone that they take um, in this. And it, which, which again, a lot of people disagree with that as well. They, they feel like it goes too dark, but I actually really like how they're able to transfer tone from the end of Casino mm. to to this. Um, I think, um, like, I think Camille's character is so awesome. I love that Mathis comes back and is so great in it. Um, as well as Felix, as well as, 
um, strawberry fields as well. Actually, just there's just too much for me to like in it, and it is a movie that I can that I do sit and find myself watching a lot. So, mm. but I also realize that there's some issues story wise that sort of get in the way with things, and um, and it does sort of feel like Casino Royale's afterthought, um, to a, to a small degree. So, yeah. um. So for those reasons, not quite top tier, but there's an awful lot I do like. So it's the, at the top of the middle tier for me. Mm. To your point about the, about the tone, our regular panelist, Ben Williams, um, came to the conclusion that if you get divorced, this is a really good Bond film. <laughs> like it goes up in your appreciation after you get divorced. Um, not recommending that path um, <laughs> to improve this film. But if you do find yourself in that situation... Uh, Sean, what would you like to put this uh, one as? Yes, I hate, I hate this question every time. I know you hate the um, question, but you're I, usually our ray of sunshine, which is why we leave you to last. <laughs> yeah, and I, I honestly, I, I actually do. I think I'm in a similar place to Ben. And I think, so we recorded uh, Die Another Day Thoughts, and I think I'm in a similar place as to what I thought about Die Another Day, in that this film kind of hit me at the right time age-wise when I was growing you up. You have been divorced at the time, right? Um, I wouldn't have been divorced, but I was I was thirteen, <laughs> so I was right on the cusp of teenage angst. Ooh, ooh, the Dark Knight's great; <laughs> it's the best bit of cinema ever. And so, a dark, gritty James Bond was really sort of like right, right at the right time, and especially after Casino Royale, which. Uh, I'm going to get some flack for this. I think I've said it before. But someone will shout at me. Casino Royale came out when I was eleven, mm. and when you're eleven. Casino Royale is really, really fucking dull. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but it really is. Um, and I remember sitting in casino and thinking, oh, God, well, especially after the back of the bomb I've previously seen previous was Down of the Day. It was locks of action. Right. When, you, when you're that age, you want to see stuff blown up in cars. Um, and so Quantum of Solace then came along. And I think if Casino Royale had come out when I was 13, that would have been it would have been in a similar position. So I connected with this film as an angsty 13 year old. And I think that's kind of always sat with me. I like the style over substance. I like that it is, it is a very pretty film for the most part. And it's kind of a film that is desperately trying to say, look how classy we are. It's, it's trying to, there's a vibe to it. That's kind of like a corporate party. If you know what I mean, that everything's like a black and white kind of vibe, and it's trying to be like, oh yeah, we're really adult. Look how adult we are because we're addressing all these things. And like I say, as a thirteen-year-old, you tune into that because you're trying to do the same thing, right? Um, and I, I genuinely think this might be my favorite Craig film, Ooh. and I think it's certainly the one I go back to the most. A because the 4K version, I've got to shout out, is really beautiful and scrubs up the best out of all of them. Um, but B, it's easy, it's easy to stick on and to watch. You don't, you're not committing yourself to two and a half hours. Or three. Um, or three. <laughs> and it, 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 you, it's kind of, because it's such a mess, it's kind of easy to follow because you don't necessarily need to try. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, to your point about why the 4K so I, looks better, Sean, is because Skyfall was shot in 2K digital and Spectre yeah, was yeah. done in the 2K VFX pipeline. So this, yeah. up until No Turn to Die, was the last 
Yeah. Well, I think it even looks better than No Time to Die on the home release, simply because No Time to Die, the home release is in the wrong bloody aspect ratio. Mm. Irks me. Um, and I think it looks better than Quantum, uh, not sorry, than Casino Royale. Um, I, and I guess maybe that's just some of the budget coming through. Yeah, and, triple the budget. But I think there's just... There's, I don't know. There's a there's a feeling of expense to it, even though it's a bit of a mess. And like I say, it comes back to that. It's trying to be more yeah. than it necessarily is. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, it's just an easy easy watch to stick on. So I think it would. I'm in a similar place, and I'll stick it top end of my middle tier as well. Uh, how about how about you, James? Um, <laughs> we we never turn this question on no, you. you. Don't. Oh. There's a reason for that. No, don't answer it. Um, I honestly don't know. And I don't know how this one sits in my um, rankings because I think it comes down to I'm on a plane. I've got a six-hour flight. I open on my laptop. I've got all the movies on there. What am I in the mood for? Tell you this. It's never Quantum of Solace. So I haven't seen Quantum in quite a while. So it's probably due a rewatch. So I think it'd be unfair for me to judge it now. I haven't watched it since No Time Today came out. It's probably overdue a, a reconsideration. It'll probably go up in my estimation than what it was before. Mm. So probably somewhere in the middle, I think. I'll edit that all out and then nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> you just end the podcast yeah. when I ask yes. you. Um, so if you're listening to this contemporously, we are having Quantum of Solace, like a speeding bullet in UK cinemas, 90 minutes. Um, go pay you six quid or whatever it is and enjoy somebody else paying for the heating and cooling. Um, <laughs> and um, don't get divorced to appreciate this movie um, that's silly advice um, but yeah. I, I think you can kind of role play that like to see where Bond's mind is in this film <laughs> like, it's not you, a good place you know what you won't be wasting your time that's no, no. so there you go and you know the other good thing about seeing this on the big film uh, big screen now um, what are we talking about um 14 years later geez is, 14 long years yes um going into quantum if you saw it in cinemas in 2008 you went in thinking this is casino Royale 2 it wasn't and you probably felt you were missold um, <laughs> but now 14 years later we know that's not what it is um so i think that's why it's probably picked up some picked up in some people's rankings i i, I want to say as well there's probably also Looking at cinema at the time, everything was that gritty sort of dark kind of thing. So now you're going into it with a bit of a, a bit more freshing. You've seen more lighthearted affairs yes. and cinema take a brighter tone. So maybe it'll stand out a bit more. Mm. Yeah. And with that, next week we will be tackling Skyfall, um, probably one of the most covered and talked about films in the recent years. Um, so with that, thank you, Bill, Ben, and Sean, and we'll see some other folks next week. Bye for now. Thanks for us. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Mm-hmm.